Well, good morning, friends, as we uh, continue to work our way through Exodus and Joshua. Um, I'd like to read to you from chapter 3 of the book of Joshua. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and when the Levitical priests carrying it, uh, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that you, they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here. Listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, Amorites and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground when all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Friends, would you pray with me? Our God, we thank you that you are a God who gives us your power. Help us to understand that power, uh, to uh, work it out in our lives, both individually and as a church. Father, we pray that you would speak to each of us a fresh word this morning, a word of encouragement, um, a, a word that helps us as we seek to follow you in this journey of transition that we're going through. Father, would you speak to us? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, at times in our lives, each of us reach points of critical decision, places where we recognise the decision that we make 
will have a huge effect on the rest of our lives. We like come to a T intersection and we have to make a choice whether we'll head left or head right. And we can look back and see those points of, of critical decision in our lives uh, might have been a, a spiritual decision, the choice to accept God's offer of salvation, invite Jesus to become our life leader and our forgiver. Career decisions, decisions about how to respond to illness, if and when to start a family, all of these are critical points of decision. And the Israelites faced this type of junction in chapter 3 of Joshua. I want to ask you, just try and imagine spending your entire life dreaming of one thing. Your parents and your grandparents dreamt of it before you and would tell you stories from the time of the, your earliest memories about how wonderful it would be when this one thing finally came to pass. Now imagine that every other person you have ever known was also looking forward to this one thing. It wasn't just a personal dream, it was a national dream shared by everyone around you. And all of your activities were supposed to be moving in that direction. It was the one goal to which everyone was striving. Can you imagine that? Can you feel the longing for it? Well, let's put Joshua 3 in context. First, God has chosen Joshua to follow Moses as the leader of his people. And he gives Joshua both the command, be strong and courageous and take the land and the promise, I will be with you always. And then Joshua sends two spies across the river to get a handle on what was waiting for the Israelites on the opposite side. And they returned with a favorable report. And now, finally, after 40 years, the time has come. And we hear that figure 40 years um, all the time. And I wonder if we really appreciate how long of a wait that actually was for the people of God. I've never waited that long for anything. An entire generation has passed. The nation that stands here on the banks of the river was completely different than the nation that had walked out of slavery in Egypt. So this national dream of a homeland has been the central focus of two complete generations of Israelites. And now the time has come. Now the command comes. It's time to cross the river. First, the leaders get the people ready. They go throughout the camp and they tell them to follow the priests. And there is a great line in there in verse 4. Since you have never travelled this way before. This is a new chapter, a new adventure, a new land. And since it's all new, God is the God. And part of that preparation is a spiritual one. God commands the people to purify themselves, to get spiritually ready for what comes next in verse 5. He knows that God wants to do something amazing. Great wonders, as the NLT puts it. But it's more than personal moral purity that's being talked about in this passage. It may be the land of God's promise that they're entering, but it's enemy-occupied territory. They're preparing for battle against the idols of the land and all who follow them, against the disgusting human sacrifices of the Canaanite religion. And at its deepest level, holiness is being set apart 
for God's purposes, of advancing God's kingdom in the world. So speaking out against injustice, thinking through how we can use our work as a, a vocation or calling for transforming our world, creating beautiful art, loving those who hate us, are all ways in which we bring God's reign into reality in our world. You know, Jesus said in Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. We need to make a conscious surrender of our entire lives to be holy, set apart for God's purposes in this world. Now, the text doesn't record for us people's obedience to the command to consecrate themselves, but we can safely assume that they did because the next morning Joshua heads over to the priests and gives them their instructions. Get the ark and lead us across the river. That's all he says. He doesn't tell them that God is going to do a miracle. He doesn't lay out the plan in detail. He just says, get the ark and go jump into the river. And they start out. Verse 7 and 8 um, record the Lord speaking to Joshua and making the instructions just a little bit more specific. Just take a few steps into the river and stop. But still, no promise of a miracle, no explanation of why or what, just the command. And maybe they were asking the question, where's God's power when we need it? Maybe you're asking that question this morning as you reflect on your life and your circumstances. You know, we don't doubt the power of God. If, if he's God, he can do something. And we, I don't think we even doubt God's willingness or he does desire to flow that power into our lives to help us with our hardships. Certainly the God who freely shared his son Jesus Christ would be willing to share some of his limitless power with his children, wouldn't he? Especially if they're facing hardships and difficulties. I don't think we spend much time worrying about God's power or his willingness to share it. What seems to trip us up is the how of applying his heavenly power to earthly problems. It's more the practical question of applying God's power than the theological question of whether or not he has it or wants to share it with us. We read verses like Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But how? How is it that we can get his strength going in our lives? Well, Joshua is finally given clearance to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. The entire nation who spent a whole generation of time wandering in the deserts of the Sinai Peninsula and for the Israelites, water marked the start and the end of their wilderness journey. Forty years ago, in Exodus 14, the people of Israel walked through the sea on dry ground. This time, those leading were getting their feet wet. But keep walking, keep trusting. And as you do that, God is saying, I will honour your faith by display of my supernatural power. What God is promising in that situation in the Old Testament is power along the way. And God finally says to Joshua, you can march toward the Canaan border. Today is the day you will enter the promised land. Only one problem. 
The border of Canaan is marked by the Jordan River, which just happened to be in flood stage. There are no bridges, no boats, no ferries to go across. No problem, God says to Joshua. Organise all the people, form a line. God then instructs the Ark of the Covenant to be carried at the very front of the procession as a symbol of the presence and the power of God. And then the signal by God is given. Everybody march. Where? In the direction of the raging, swirling, churning white waters of the Jordan River. Pause again. Can you imagine being about fifth in line and as God says, walks, and then he points Joshua and the leaders to the raging rapids? I mean, I'd be finding a stone in my shoe around then, you know, or I'd have this sudden burst of politeness and say, why don't you go ahead? No, really, it's fine. Go on ahead of me. I mean, this sort of seems like madness, but God announces to Joshua in verse 8 that he's going to intervene. When? Sometime along the way, somewhere between here and the river's edge, if they walk by faith in the general direction he told them to go. In fact, in the text, God gives instructions to tell those in the front of the line to walk right in the water, believing that God is going to deliver them somehow, some way. And remarkably, if you read the text carefully, that's exactly what happens. In verse 15, we read that those at the front of the line were in ankle-deep water and God miraculously parted the waters of the Jordan River and the people of Israel crossed on dry ground. God had promised power along the way if the people would march in the direction he asked them to go. And the people marched and God gave them his power along the way. And I'll tell you, if I was near the front of the line and had gotten ankle deep and then the waters parted, I would have gone, well, yeah, it's about time. I mean, how much closer to the point of disaster should I get? Now, we'd all prefer that God would do it differently. We'd all prefer power right now. Power before any showdown. Power before any crisis. Power before the river's edge. But in this passage, God promises power along the way. He says, you just keep walking and you trust me. And you take one step of faith and after that, the next. And after that, the next. And I will come through. And God delivered exactly what he had promised to deliver, which is power along the way. Power because of their willingness to put one step of faith in front of the next, in front of the next, and trust him in motion. And Joshua says in verse 13, the priests will be carrying the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. When their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream, and the river will pile up there in one heap. Imagine the response of the people. Pardon? How does a river pile up in one heap? I mean, this is kind of how I imagine the Jordan. And Joshua tells the priest to go stand in it, holding the Ark of the Covenant. I don't imagine it would have been an easy task. And yet it came with a promise. As soon as their feet hit the water, the flow would be cut off upstream. That place upstream was 20 miles upstream. And this is where maybe it gets a little bit confusing. Did the water flow get cut off 
20 miles upstream the moment the priest's feet hit the water? Or did God's time the cutoff earlier? So the moment the priests step into the water, they experience the river drying up. I believe that the flow started to get cut off the moment they took those steps. Verse 15 says, as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water began piling up at a town upstream called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed into the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. And maybe you're thinking, so what? Uh, here is what I find fascinating and consistent with how God works today. Those priests stood in the river for quite some time before they saw anything happening. And the people stood on the banks of the river watching this dangerous activity without seeing anything happening for the first little while. Can you picture it? Joshua had said the river would stop and we believe it. But so far, um, nothing's happening. Why am I making such a big deal about this? Because, friends, we always expect the miraculous to be instantaneous. And sometimes it is. And yet more often I think it happens in our lives the same way it happened for those priests and Israelites. We have to wait. We have to stand in the water, fighting the current, believing the promise, and then we see the miracle. Maybe God does it to test our faith. Maybe he does it to prove his faithfulness and his presence prior to the miracle. Maybe he does it to teach us how to be strong in the current. Maybe he does it just because he works on a different agenda than we do. But here is the key to the promise. He always comes through. The Israelites would have likely seen a gradual miracle. The water level would have dropped slowly but steadily. And I can imagine them saying to one another, I think it's getting lower, maybe, or maybe it was like that before, until it became completely obvious. And, and that's often how I've seen God heal. It takes a bit of time, but he does it. That's often how I see God set people free. It takes a bit of time an intentional process, some hard work on our part, but God does it. And, and that's even how God saves people. It often takes a bit of time, but God reveals himself and draws people to salvation. But again, I need to emphasize that Jesus did not hang around in the Garden of Gethsemane waiting for a mystical wave of divine power that promised to make his mission easy. He prayed. He got up and he walked in the direction he knew his father wanted him to go. And God was faithful and supplied power along the way, power to accomplish the mission that he had given Jesus, power to overcome. And most of us will be in heaven because of that. Just let me remind you one more time, almost all of us, have problems beneath the shiny outside of our life that are real, that are hard, and that are probably not going to go away soon. And all of you know that simple verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, but we are going to have to demonstrate faith. Start walking. And I believe this and seen it. That if you walk in the direction God is calling you, 
you'll receive power along the way. Okay. Your move. What do you need power for today? Is it to overcome a particular sin? Perhaps to seek to reconcile a strained relationship. Walk in the direction God is showing you and trust that his power will come to you along the way. Is it to actually tell people that at work that you're a Christian? Perhaps today you realise that you'll be a stunted Christian unless you can make time with God and time in his word and prayer a priority in your life. And God is inviting you across the river today. Has God been nudging you about getting involved in a particular ministry and you've basically said, I can't. Perhaps you need to put your foot in the water and see God's power come along the way. Are you stopped by the river, sitting back with your arms folded, waiting to see what will happen in this church? You know, God hasn't planted this church for it to sputter along. He has a purpose and a destiny of fruitfulness for it. But you have to put your foot in the water and trust God. You need to be a participant and not a spectator. Start walking. Do the things you need to do. And as you do trust and believe that God will supply his power, not before you need it, not after you need it, but along the way. You may not feel like stepping into the raging, swirling river, but do it and you will see God's power at work. Now, I haven't commented much on the Ark of the Covenant yet, but basically this was the visible symbol of the presence of God among them. In many ways, we can think of it as God's dwelling place among his people. It's the Ark that actually leads them across the river. And the significant point of this story, and even of the whole book of Joshua, is that God goes first. The ark enters the water ahead of the people. The priests walk out, they stand in the middle of the river ahead of the people, and then the people follow. They obey, they step out in courage and cross the river. Let me quote to you from a commentary by John Huffman. The Israelites stood at the banks of the Jordan River during the flood season. This was a terrifying experience. Most of us are familiar with long wilderness experiences to which we've become accustomed. There are moments in which we stand shuddering at the edge of the Jordan, knowing that before us are rushing waters, the fortress city of Jericho, chariots of iron and even giants in the land. God wants to break through our conservatism and to help us become crossover people. People who are willing to grow and expand, claiming new territory, inheriting the future that he has in store. Wow, they are inspiring words, friends. Well, here is the challenge for us today. Will we take the risks to cross the river? I have a sense that we're at a critical decision point individually for many of you here today and, and also corporately. Individually, maybe some of you need to make a decision to stand for Jesus, perhaps in one of the ways I've mentioned, perhaps in some other way. And God invites you to step off the edge of the riverbank into the floodwaters. 
There are places in your life that God is begging you to give up to him. There are places in your life where God wants you to risk trusting him. God's promise to you, he will set you free into the land of promise. He will first cross over ahead of you to show you the way and he will walk moment by moment by your side. I want to challenge you, friends, to make that leap today. So what is the Holy Spirit calling you to right now? Is it to confess an area of sin? To release something that you're holding on to? To take a leap into whatever scary river is in front of you? To make a commitment in your spiritual development? I trust that God has been nudging you this morning. But I think for everyone here gathered online, we need to recognise afresh that God's power comes along the way. We need to get moving. So let's walk forward hand in hand with our eyes on the promise of God. We're crossing the river, you see, together, corporately. God goes ahead. He's preparing the way. And he's going to do great wonders in our community as we claim back God's territory. So friends, these weeks have been a roadmap for our journey over, the, over this time, ending, transition and promise. There'll be blessing, fun, adventure. And I'm convinced that we will experience God's goodness as we step into the water and experience his power coming to us along the way. Don't doubt that there is promise and newness, significance and abundance ahead. Because God is faithful. He is our guide. And he goes ahead of us as we cross the swirling waters into his promises and gives us his strength and power along the way. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your power which comes to us not before we need it, not after we need it, but along the way. For whatever it is that you're calling each of us to individually today, help us to take that step, a step of trust and obedience, even into the raging, swirling waters of the Jordan, that we might experience all that you have for us. Help us know your power along the way, your guidance at every step, and together to be a crossover people who are willing to take risks for you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.